start the show uh, plug our sponsor fakespacegames.com the number one place to get your magic of the gathering singles also the place to get to read an upcoming article from a recent magic fest grand prix winner but more on that later uh, the weekly deal as we do one every week on face face is a another spring sale volume three this time it's going to be on supply and sealed products so if you've been wanting to draft an old set or it's the best time to get your sleeves once again. Dragon sleeves, a bunch of sleeves are on sale. So go to face2facegames.com right now and to go check that out. And also check the Facebook page, join the contest, and you can easily win $50 store credit. Today's show, we got Elliot back from the Magic Fest in Niagara Falls. We got John, my man, Final Nub, with a really sweet article that we'll get into. But we also got the most recent Legacy GP champion someone who's who's known on the mtgo world daniel getchell in the house how's it going champ hey it's going pretty well thanks for having me on tonight we're, we're super excited to have you on and uh i'm just gonna let john take it away because john himself has worked with you on, on certain decks in the past or so he tells me in our facebook chat yeah, it's really it's really exciting to have Daniel here. Um, for those who are a bit unfamiliar with his real name, um, he's been a mainstay uh, as a uh, MTGO end boss and the scourge of the online metagame, um, Gold Ducat. And he's uh, he's posted a lot of results anywhere from you know playing like Legacy Miracles, Blue White decks, even Depth, etc., to like uh, Modern Hollow One. And uh, I've, I've, I've been talking to him a lot, and he has a lot of interesting ideas. And obviously, he's an extra, excellent uh, writer, and uh, he's been streaming a bit more nowadays. And uh, yeah, I just think he's a very good magic mind, and obviously, uh, he crushed it this weekend. So very excited to have you, man. Yeah, thanks. Actually, I uh, met Jonathan the first time was uh, through Bob Huang, because uh, we were playing a lot of Hollow One back in February. It wasn't like super good, but we just liked playing the deck a lot because um, we like casting Goblin lore and stuff. And then uh, Bob told me Jonathan was on it. We talked through uh, the deck and stuff like that, which it's definitely an interesting deck to uh, play. Certainly. Um, just looking at your uh, Goldfish uh, list right now, Daniel, and uh, you got a pretty diverse set of uh, five O's here, anywhere from uh, standard Bulgari to Legacy uh, Hollow, uh, sorry, Modern uh, Burn, Modern Hollow One, and looking at your Legacy results here, you have anywhere from uh, Blue Red, uh, Blue, Blue Red Delver, Phoenix when it came, first came out, Death Miracles, but I don't see a lot of the uh, the choice of uh, the deck of choice this weekend. So clearly, you have a lot of experience with the Legacy uh, in the Legacy scene. So why don't you like walk us through like why why did you pick? Stoneblade, how did you arrive, and you know your general thoughts about your preparation and, the, and your thoughts about the metagame leading into the uh, Grand Prix? Um, basically, I arrived at the choice for a few reasons. The, the main way I got onto Stoneblade, it's definitely a deck that in the past like year or so, people haven't you know taken really seriously. So myself, I never looked at it that much. Like a lot of people are like Stoneforge, you know, that card's not very good. 
Um, but I know Omar Belden, who's a Toronto player, we teamed for like a 1K actually at face-to-face, the, like the team trios. He said, this looks fun, we should do it. So I was playing standard. I was mostly playing standard at that point. Uh, we had Tyler Nightingale on modern and Omar was on legacy. So I I was like, what are you playing, Omar? He's like, oh, Blade, maybe I'll play Delver, maybe I won't. And um, I don't remember if I said it exactly to him, but I said, well, actually, I think Delver is really bad in blue-white um, because the plows are the least scary plows. You'll see it's the least scary wastelands you see when people are just making you gain life. But then he actually ended up playing the event with Delvers in the sideboard. So I wanted to try that. Um, the idea, I don't know, it's, it's sort of like for combo decks to leverage your spell pierces, and you can side it in against miracles to trip them up a bit and pressure their removal spells. So um, I tried that, and I 5 out a league, so I thought, okay, display deck's pretty good. And then I won a challenge, so I said, okay, this is kind of cool. But then I actually didn't do super well in two other events, so I was more nervous about it. There's, like, the playoffs thing. I lost two Tundra Mirrors to, like, Rich Shea and then to uh, Tommy Stanerson. Stanerson's not, like, super well-known name, but he played in the mocks, which is, like, the worlds of Moto, so it's really hard to get qualified for that. And... um the the then the ptq i played the ptq and i didn't do super well but i was playing like a really weird list with like jay's friends prodigy and monarch lands basically i th- i made my deck way too hard to play it was like playing chess i just couldn't make decisions i had to like play at random and then it just didn't go well but then basically the main thing that got me on the deck is so well after that i was playing a lot of blue red prowess because i wanted to play an easier deck so i wouldn't like make mistakes um because of the whole it's like the chess thing when you have too many decisions you just play at random but I was trying a lot of brews, like bad Grixis brews, like Grixis Pyromancer brews. And um, I tried a Grixis Delver brew with four Bobs and four Terramanders. And they weren't like bad, but they just didn't feel great. And then like I would just play the blue-white blade deck. Actually, the Monday before, I just played on Moto and I was doing super well. I went like 14 on one on Moto. Like, and I was like, this just feels so much better than the Grixis decks. I think the main reason why it feels better than the other Ponder decks is just better against Chalice decks it's not like inherently very good it's not like you're gonna play a ponder mirror and just crush them it's more just like you have this protection from chalice decks that the other decks do not have it's not that the other decks are bad against chalice decks but if you're just trying to win a lot of matches in a row against them um you just have this initial like sort of end like you have your decks just better positioned against that basic thing but i actually only played against one chalice deck the whole weekend uh so but it's still it's still fine against the other decks as i guess it turned out to be that was kind of my process for uh, choosing the deck. It was basically like I wanted to play a Ponder deck or Depths, but um, I wanted to be good against Chalice, and I thought this was, you know, the best against Chalice of all the uh, fair decks. Basically, that's how I saw it. Interesting here. Like, I'm I'm gonna go back uh, a bit in time here because like one of the most uh, interesting trends in the last half year is the um, the resurgence of the blue X two color decks featuring Back to Basics, and that was kind of spurred by the Star City Games win for the blue-white Delver deck out of nowhere that had Back to Basics. And I've always thought that, um, you know, Plow and Delvers don't don't mix and whatnot. And before that, right, like these like Stoneblade decks and these like blue-red, blue-white Delver decks, like they they just weren't anywhere to be seen. We're too used to the greedy Grixis Delver, Deathrite Shaman era. uh, uh, like greedy mid-range decks, you know, deck, deck pile or, you know, check pile, etc. So what, what, what do you think that the move towards those is like solely because of the rise of like greedy land-based decks? Or like, what do you, why do you think like these decks are more viable now? Well, I think during the Death Rite era, it was just really hard to not 
play Deathrite Shaman. So it would really like homogenize the format. If you weren't playing Deathrite Shaman, you had to do some extreme stuff. I remember where right now the format's a lot more open. Like the power level of all the decks are, at least to me, it feels very similar. It's hard to have like a good choice or a bad bad choice and now it's just like now that the power level's a lot lower without Deathrite and probe in the format you just have a lot more space to try and you know cast don't forge mystic because the next best most powerful thing just isn't the same level as like you know if if people don't play a lot of legacy it might not sound that broken but like when your opponent i called it the like le- boggle leyline start when you went turn one Deathrite was a days up and you had a wasteland you would win like 90 percent plus of those games like your opponent just couldn't do anything at all it might not seem that and then, like, also you'd play Delver Mirrors, and there's not that much removal, so it's really hard to actually kill the, the this thing. And they can have, like, True Names and Pyromancers. They can't... Like, Deathrite was just an obscene card, um, and it, it really homogenized what you could do just be in the format. And now you just have uh, a lot more options to try and do stuff, and that just means lower power stuff like Stoneforge is more viable. And I like the Stoneforge because it's good against Chalice. And yeah, True Name doesn't work well with Plow, so people who read the list might be like, why are you playing for True Name? It's just like a combo with the equipment package, even though it sounds a bit silly. When you go like curve Stoneforge into True Name, it can be powerful against um, the Faradex in the format. Interesting. Um, b- before we go on here, like I just want to highlight uh, the uh, the timeless classic now, the the famous or infamous uh, tournament report, um, <laughs> the the Bogos Reanimator uh, uh, report. This is uh, Daniel's actually the author of that masterpiece here, so. If anyone uh, hasn't read it yet, go ahead. Uh, you should uh, you should look up. Uh, I guess Bogle's Brand Reanimator. It's a very good tournament report. Gives a lot of insight to how his mind works. It's great. But um, before before we go on to like your tournament and Elliot's tor- uh, tournament on, on the weekend here, I kind of want to like touch on like um, for those that don't recognize you. It seems like you are. Do you, you live in Ontario right now? Yeah, in Toronto. Right, so you, you name drop uh, Omar Belden and uh, Nightingale, et cetera, et cetera, here. And like you, I think you know Edgar as well. So, like, are you yeah. in the Toronto area, like knowing all those grinders? Yeah, yeah. So I know them all from um, you know local face-to-face tournaments. And uh, so we see each other at all those events and stuff. That's pretty cool. And uh, Edgar definitely, um, I mean, Edgar also top-aided as well with uh, the Strifle special uh punishing deck pile as well so which is it was a great it's been a great uh great year for canadian magic especially ontario magic so i'm, I'm very happy to see you guys representing here yeah i actually uh, edgar the weekend before because as i was saying i was playing all those bad grixis brews he saw it and uh, benevolently messaged me and said if i want to play like a bad grixis deck he's been doing really well with four color deck but i just didn't really have the time to test the deck and you know get all duels together because it was just a few days before the gp um that's oh. awesome. Yeah. Oh, you're flicking. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was flicking cards there. That's just something I usually do when I'm sitting at my computer. It was actually, uh, I'll show while well, I put them away now. I was flicking a Bowmat, a Remand, Dead Gone, and a Crackling Drake. So uh, pretty fun legacy cards. Dead Gone is a lot of history with Omar Belden. He uh, almost went undefeated at the Grand Prix last year um, playing this card. So it's a Grixis Delver pet card of, of ours. Is that like against like Merit Leech? Yeah, it's for merit. It's basically so like you'd play it over forked bolt so that you can deal with merit lage. Fair enough. Well, we're what, touching what we... on tech real quick. I do just want to ask a question about uh, the list you ended up playing in the Grand Prix. It looks really, really stock to me, except 
the one thing that jumps out is the Tormod's Crypts in the sideboard, which obviously, like, if you're playing a mentor strategy, having a proactive card like that helps. But, you know, with no mentors, what made you go towards Tormod's Crypt? Well, it's actually um, kind of funny. It comes from sort of, I double, I dual queue a lot on the weekends. And I'll, and it's a lot more difficult, even though it sounds kind of like a meme to use Surgical than Tormod's Crypt. Like, if I have, like, I, like I'm playing the Legacy Challenge, and then there's, like, a standard PTQ and, like, a sealed mox. And it, playing Surgical, there's even just the clicking. Like, it sounds very silly, but you have to, like, click on the Grizzle Band. You have to remember to remove it. Like, I'm, like, switching between three games, and it's so much easier to use Tormod's Crypt. It's good. That's, like, there's, there's, like, several reasons. Like, I wouldn't, obviously, if that was the only reason, I would play it at the GP. That's just, like, the first reason, so that people are, like, okay, sounds kind of reasonable. The second reason is I think um, it's a better versus Dredge and Storm. Um, I don't understand Storm super well, but most of the Storm pilots like say they fear Tormod's Crypt a lot. I played against 42 AD this weekend. He's like a moto grinder, like Storm God, who's known for doing super weird stuff, like playing pernicious deeds, 61 cards, multiple tendrils, like the Ks. Like if you play against him, it's just terrifying because uh, he always wants to go draw go and you never know what he's up to. Um, against Dredge, it's it's obviously just a lot better. Well, it can be there can be different situations with either is better, but I think generally it's better, especially they're like sideboarding three silent gravestones. One general argument people make is that Dredge just isn't a very popular deck, but in, it definitely shows that there's a couple pilots, Orem sixty seven, Elf Kid, who do extremely well with Dredge. You could, maybe they're just really good, and it doesn't matter what deck they're playing. But um, I do think that it's a very good deck probably and i'd rather not lose to it when i beat it and i thought like at a grand prix at the top rounds there's probably very good dredge players potentially that i, I might have to play against also i know eric landon and he always tells me like tormod's crypt is terrible a lot worse than than surgical i think the main reason he says this against plow decks and i know he doesn't disagree with me or i know he disagrees with me is because when you use surgical grizzlebrand um it's really hard for him to get relevant threats against swords to plowshares but m my problem is more with or sort of the origin of how i started playing tormod script was i was playing a lot of blue red prowess and you just don't have relevant cards in hand and basically like you only have force of will so it's really hard to actually use surgical to uh and wait because then they can just discard it you don't have a lot of relevant cards you don't have a ton of pressure and also you said prowess it's kind of fun it's not the mentor level of power, but you have Storm Chaser Mage and uh, Swiss Spear, and it is quite relevant when you have like two of those out. It's just like an extra shock, but it's, it's just sort of like a pet card of mine. Like it's not necessary, but I, I I like it a bit more in those matchups. I know Eric disagrees though against Black Red, but personally, I feel it's um quite strong. It's actually when they gave you like the they gave you a piece of paper when we top hated where you had to write like what's the strongest card in your deck. And I said, well, it depends on the matchup, but the card that I think I probably won 100% of the games I've cast, well, not 100%, but the card that I probably have the highest percent chance to win when I cast is Tormod's Crypt because the matchups it's good against, it's so powerful. And even in Stoneblade, you do have a bit of that discard. You're not playing Miracles with infinite cantrips. You're playing like Stoneforges and True Names, so your hand can be more vulnerable to discard. It can be awkward if like your hand Snapcaster, they go like turn one thought seize your Tormod Crypt, now you have a dead Snapcaster. But there's a lot of variations. It can also be against Reanimator. They can play through a Surgical easier in like some ways. Um, but there's definitely ups and downs to each. It's not like objectively better. Like most of my choices just came to my play style. Um, even like I know Omar this weekend was splashing black, and the, I didn't not splash black because I thought it was worse. I just didn't 
I I didn't want to get wastelanded because that's just my personal playstyle. Like for fun, like I thought if I'm playing 15 rounds, I'm not going to have fun getting wastelanded. So I just wanted a simple mana base. That's also like why I excluded all the utility lands like Caracas Wasteland, the Monarch Land. I guess nobody plays that except for me anyway. But uh, I just didn't want to get wastelanded just because um, it's my personal playstyle. So most of like the choices in the deck are just like um, the cards I like to play, sort of. Super interesting. Clear. Clearly, like I really laughed at uh, when you said uh, the the part of the reason why you why you did uh, choose uh, surgical is because of uh, F six value when you're multi tabling. That's uh, that's a mark of a true magic online grinder right there. I'm not gonna lie. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think uh, I think most uh, most of us are here to and curious to hear about uh, both of your you guys' um, uh, weekend here. Um, you both you guys both went to GP Niagara Falls, obviously. Uh, no offense to uh, Elliot, uh, some one of one of you guys did a bit better, uh, but yeah, uh, da- Daniel, tell tell us about your tell us about your weekend. How to start? Any like any interesting spots? Just uh, yeah, just for uh, yours to talk about how you did and uh, how you got to. Did you did you just not lose? I think you were like sixteen or like sixteen concession or something like that. Yeah, I, I scooped to Edgar because it wasn't actually a selfless scoop. It, well, I probably I might have scooped anyway, but I didn't even have to think about it because basically what happened is if I scooped to him, he would be second seed, I would be first seed. The matchup's really bad for me. That way we don't play until the finals. Um, if we pl- So it, it actually sounds better. Like I mean, I could have theoretically won the matchup, but I, I've never played it. But look, like reading his list, it seems quite bad for me. And also I can't really you know hope he misplays. He's quite a strong player. So... It, yeah um there was a couple interesting moments i mentioned 42 ad the storm master i've played against him a lot of magic online it's definitely the funniest moments are against him um i'll just say to prelude to the game it was probably correct for him to extirpate my containment priest um that that so that happened in our game <laughs> and he's playing storm by the way so it's not like he was sneaking show a reanimator which was, uh, I could actually tell that's, I think that's probably the coolest play of the weekend. And it's the kind of stuff that only happens against people like 42 AD. Basically what happened is, so a few turns earlier in the game, I went Snapcaster and target Brainstorm. He's like, thanks, thanks, extirpate my Brainstorm. So he sees my whole deck and he sees I have two containment priests. I slide them in because basically I have true names, which I think are slightly worse. There's obviously pros and cons to each, but like, and also for people who don't know, his, his play style is like super Drago. He tries to like, play a bunch of tendrils and just naturally tendrils you and he's like he has pernicious deeds and like his, his deck is super grindy he's trying to out control you almost he actually successfully pernicious deeded away a batter skull a tormod's crypt and a, and a stone forge in our game which was <laughs> um anyway so basically what had happened in the exact extirpate containment priest line is later in the game so like i play so he sees i have two containment priests he like abrupt decays one at some point or or something and then which is like going draw go he thought sees me and he sees my hands like true name like flesh storm force of will some counter spells and stuff he passes back to me and i draw for turn i look at my draw and i pass back to him and i have like enough lands out where i would obviously slam the true name um the only draw that would make sense that i wouldn't play anything would be like containment priest and i have one in the graveyard and he has an extirpate in hand and he looks at me because he like i foolishly said oh i'm gold we play all the time because uh so he knows that when i play against him i'm gonna jam my cards because i know he's trying to do this like meme stuff like we played game one i went like jam turn three true name jam turn four jace like i know what he's trying to do and sort of he and then 
So he looks and then he ends up not casting it. I cast Containment Priest and he makes like he's shaking his head. And then after the game, he says he's he was like almost 100% sure I do Containment Priest because I couldn't draw like Snapcaster and pass because he extirpated my brainstorms, but he just thought it was like too weird. But that, that just only shows you like if you follow the narrative of the game, weird stuff can come up and it's like, yeah, they drew their one of Priest in the deck and I could have extirpated it. It probably wouldn't have influenced the game, but I definitely thought it was very funny afterwards that uh, that came up. Um, another... I would say the other best moment was against Gerard Fabiano in the Swiss was he was playing Miracles and I was playing while well, I was playing Blue White Stoneblade and it's the end of his turn in game one and I go to cast Vendillion, flash it in uh, his mana base he has like four lands out like a Tundra, two islands, a fetch land and his hand is like Spell Snare Counterbalance, Swords like Force of Will, Snapcaster, Terminus and so he didn't cast the Plow on my click well I look at my hand it's like Jitte and like some bad spells. I take the plow and I end up killing him with a plow. And uh, so that was a pretty tight rope to walk for that Vendilia from there. And that was probably the second uh, best match, most interesting match of the weekend for my deck, or at least uh, that felt felt like it was a tight rope to walk in that way. Man, uh, that that, uh, 42 AD uh, anecdote is very interesting because like you know, clearly you got you got uh, two titans of the magical online world, and uh, you know when you're so when you're so high up level uh, level one, you, know, you, probably, you guys are probably operating on level fives and whatnot. You come up come out to these like really weird lines and all that. So I think that's, uh, that's a really fun spot uh, to be in when both players know what they're doing here. So like what what like I, I wouldn't expect you to walk us through the Swiss and all that, but you didn't lose at all, and uh, yeah, so so. I, I expect we'll hear more about that um, in the, your articles and whatnot. So, in your quarterfinals, semifinals, and uh, uh, finals here, I, I know that you faced off against uh, uh, Gerard Fabiano Miracles here. Obviously, uh, quite a strong uh, player. I'm more curious about that match because, like, my understanding is that Miracles is favored. But you know, I was looking at Anura Das's uh, Starcraft texting uh, Twitter coverage, which was very amusing. Uh, if no one saw, um, there was no coverage in the Legacy um, Prix. However, Anurag Das, who is a very prominent figure in the Legacy scene, was on site and fiercely texting or typing, tweeting um, every single move, which was great. So I would highly recommend you check it out. So yeah, wh- why don't you like uh, briefly walk us through your top eight matches here? From uh, What did you play in the quarterfinals, semi, and the finals? What were some uh, interesting thoughts? And, you know, like, obviously you, you didn't lose, but yeah, I, we'd love to know more about uh, how those went. Um, well, I want to mention before I start one thing about Anurag Das. Uh, he's a friend of mine. We actually went to get dinner afterwards with a few of our friends. And when I saw him, I was walking after my match. Like, I just walk around the aisles waiting to start because Gerard, I think they had like a two hour match. And my match, I played against Show and Tell, so my match was like 20 minutes. So I was, you know, waiting there tensely for the top four match for a long time. And I saw Anurag was just typing on his phone because he actually, I don't know if you know, but a few months ago, he emailed Channel Hardball and he said he wants to do video coverage. And they, they, they couldn't because there's like so much stuff going on. And then he said, okay. And they said, listen, we'll do text coverage. And then they weren't doing like, they were doing some, but they weren't doing like a ton or something. And he was like, you really want us to do more. And when I saw him doing it, I'm like, he's got to be like delirious. Like, how can he type for hours every play? Like, I, like I, I, I didn't expect the coverage to be high quality. But then when I was reading through the replays, it was actually like, you could actually understand what was going on in the game just by reading the replays, which um, I, which is hard to do because when you're playing a legacy game, there's obviously so much going on. Like, how could you actually understand what's going on? But he really communicated it well and like while typing quickly, it was just kind of absurd. Um, yeah, the, the 
the most intense game is definitely versus Gerard in the top four. Um, like I remember in the first game, I had to force of will his swords to plowshares, which isn't like a normal play that you'd usually want to do. But basically, what had happened was my hand was like island planes planes, um, or I, in play I had an island of planes, and in my hand I had like planes true name Jitte Bowder Skull Council's Judgment Snapcaster Force of Will, and my top card was bad. I knew it like from a cantrip. Um, so basically. Uh, I go cast Stone Forge. Uh, the trigger goes on the stack. He's like, yeah, yeah, I plow. So that's why I said I had two equipment in hand. Like one of them, I would get off this thing. And I have to think for a second. Also, I saw open deck list. So I saw I had three spell pierce. And basically, if I let this resolve, I couldn't actually use my hand to develop anything. Like I can't cast a true name even. I don't have a planes. But even if I did, he could like force it and then like spell pierce my force. Like it would be hard to use the force without under a spell pierce. If I force this and he doesn't have a second plow, I can go like put the batter skull in play. If he like cantrips turn two, finds a snapcaster, then by turn three, I can have like Jitte on my stone forge and like try and plow his snapcaster. If I draw plow, which is like the worst card in my deck game one. So if I don't draw plow, I'd be happy for that. So I end up doing that and then I can basically keep using my mana to develop, shuffle my top bad card. And I kept doing like really weird plays. Like one of my friends, the guy who I roommated with is uh, Hans Jacob. He actually won the Eternal Weekend, I think 2016 or uh, just the year before this one, and he said when he was watching me play, it's like I was I I look like a true modern Snapcaster player because I kept like timing Snapcaster. Like he would go cast accumulated knowledge, and I'd be like, um, in response, like cast Snapcaster Mage, like at the end of my turn on like turn three, just because I'm trying to keep sneaking all the Snapcaster Mages, and I would kept like doing stuff on his upkeep. So yeah, um, definitely. Well, it's interesting because when I was playing Blade, I, the blue white Blade deck at first, I thought Miracles was like my worst matchup because you're playing a mirror match. But your threats are clunky, and they just have accumulated knowledge. So, like, how do you do anything? But people kept being like, no, no, it's fine for Blade. And I'm like, well, also one thing, it's way more losable than other matchups. Even if it's not, like, a bad matchup, the other matchups, you don't need to jump through that many hoops. Um, but basically, I just tried to play, like, a Destiny Taxes deck and just try and, like, strangle his mana as much as possible, make him awkward for him to develop. But by doing that, I was basically just sneaking in Snapcasters as many times as I could, like... Um, so that he couldn't cast a Jace safely, and then I could try and cast my own Jace. I mean, that's just like a fancy way of saying I ended up forcing his Jace, and then my Jace is resolved. But that, that was sort of how I was approaching it. The matchup, it was uh, it was definitely stressor. In in game two, it was he mulliganed to five. So in my head, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I kept seven. But what ended up happening is like around turn five or six, the board kind of stabilized, but he had like one or two cards in hand, and my hand was like, Palace Jailer, Council's Judgment, like two or three counter spells, and my mana, I had like two islands and a time drill. But what ended up happening is I drew like three or three islands in a row and like a fluster storm. And he played a counterbalance and a, and or something that like got through. Then he top decked it to Fairy. He cast it to Fairy. I go to Force of Will it. He blind flips the Force of Will and it passes back to me. So I had like probably like three to six turns where I could have just cast a jailer. It would have easily resolved, but I kept drawing islands. And it was definitely, and I have like the councils in hand. I just draw like another fluster and I have to pass back. I'm like, oh my God, I now I have to go back to get, now I have to go to game three. But um, luckily I ended up winning a really tight game two and game three. Basically I cast a jailer and he ended up having a snapcaster out. And I had like one turn where my only protection was like a fluster storm or something. So that, and I tried to like really hope he couldn't like get rid of my jailer and take back the monarch. Like when he passed back, I was like, like such a big breath. I was like, yeah. And also, yeah, in the finals when, against Destiny Texas, my friends were saying, like, I was playing so slow, but when I equipped Jitte, it was so quick. Like, all my game actions were, like, so super slow. 
just trying not, not to do anything wrong. But then like when I'm like, how many cards do you have in hand? They're like zero. It's like put you to equip attack in like one sec. <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. And yeah, I mostly played a lot of Ponder Mirrors, so it was pretty stressful. This deck, it's actually not particularly good against Delver decks. I mean, a lot of people were saying Delver's fine for you, but basically my experience is in game one, you don't have a lot of removal. You have like four plow, which is the good removal, but um, you don't have like super many planes. I mean, you have a good amount of planes, but you're not always going to get a planes. And like super early, at least like on turn, but by super early, I mean like turn one. And then, so your threats aren't super good at stabilizing. That might sound weird to say, but like Stoneforge and True Name, when they're playing Days and Lightning Bolts, it's, it makes it so that when they have a threat and you can't kill it easily, um, and then they can like disrupt your like slow clunky stabilizing things. It can be really hard to do anything. However, if their draw is not super aggressive or you have like a good draw, you can easily win too. And then I have two supreme verdicts in the sideboard that easily let me catch up from a lot of positions. I, actually, I did play against a really weird Rixus Delver deck though in game one in day one, and my opponent actually X one. Um, I played him in like round four, I believe, and at the end of the day, he was at the top of the standings, and. Um, he actually had like basic swamp and basic island. So in, when we were going to game two, I thought he was blue black shadow, but he had Niv Magus Elemental and Colligan's Command and Snapcaster Mage and Jace the Mind Sculptor. And I actually remember in uh, the third game, I had it like a true name, a JT with a true name, and I thought it was like very far ahead. It would be difficult to lose, but then he actually cast a Jace the Mind Sculptor, which uh, made the game like uh, I had to win on turn five of time in that game. I probably could have won one turn earlier. I was just playing super safe because I had like a click on it, a jit on a click. And yeah, that was also a really a tight game. Also, one funny moment too is I played against Lance one time and as I don't have surgical, a lot of my friends said, well, what do you do against Lance? And I'm like, if I play against Lance, I'll come up with a plan. My plan ended up being like, uh, they had a maze of this and I had like four one twos or like I, I had like a bunch of like squires and they had a tabernacle and I had to like pay four for every upkeep because of what else was I going to do? And I just kept attacking with the one twos. It was a, it was an interesting plan to say the least. Cause even like the maze of this was untapping like the only like snapcast or whatever, but it ended up working. So, yeah. Man, I just love uh, listening to, listening to talk about magic. It's like uh, clearly, it's a very you're a very good, I'm very very methodical player here, and uh, clearly a very deserving uh, deserving champion here. And uh, as Carr alluded to or tweeted, uh, we'll we'll see your article. As I said, I, I'm ecstatic. I think Keith Keith said, uh, well, well, your article will be up, but I think Keith told me yeah. possibly over the weekend or something like that. Um, what's up next for you? in terms of important tournaments what's what's on the roadmap from it's Mr. actually Jack? really funny um because usually i play a lot of moto ptqs right and so usually when i'm when i'm like okay i'll play moto on the weekend i see the format for the ptq and then i start playing it or like the mocks like i play like limited stuff and i'm like okay i'll it's modern this week i'll just play modern leagues or it's standard this week i guess i'll play standard leagues but now that I'm actually queued for the PT in Barcelona, I guess I was looking at the Magic Online calendar and it's like so empty. I guess uh, I'm like, I wish this happened during the school year. <laughs> yeah. But so there's, yeah, because it's like usually I, I grind leagues sort of like you could say like without a point, like I'm just playing leagues just because it's fun. But at least I'm like, okay, I'm preparing for this event. Well, now it's, I guess I couldn't really play leagues. That's why I was like playing some more cube than usual and, you know, watching old like um so that was definitely interesting but there's the pro tour so i'll be going there i think i heard it was modern horizons draft i've never yeah. played so I'll tr i've never played a modern 
Ma- like I do play limited and okay in that. Like I, I like playing limited a lot, but I've never touched those master sets just because they're like so expensive. So I, I don't want to like you know learn the hard way or whatever. Um, so it'll be interesting to try and learn with that. I, um, and actually, yeah, Edgar said maybe um when after we play after the GP, he said maybe I could tr- uh test a little bit with team face to face or just talk to him about through the drafter. I have a lot of friends too who can help. Actually, draft master uh, Jarvis Hugh is, is a good friend of mine. We we um, talk a lot about legacy, so and so maybe he can help me with draft to a bit a bit. So I have some people I know who can, you know, help me through. Like I do draft a lot, but it's not actually at a, a great great level, you know. I think I think it was announced today or very recently. Elliot, correct me if I'm wrong. That that it was turned into modern uh, Barcelona. Um, so what what are you looking? I, I guess you'll be interested to see how this upcoming uh, Mythic Championship plays out in London. And uh, what would you be playing? Well, what I've actually a spicy deck I've been playing modern recently. Well, it's not spicy. That's like this. I, it's just Grace's Shadow, but I had Blood Moons in my sideboard. So uh, <laughs> good thing Edgar's not here now. <laughs> but I sent it to him, and he's like, "This is ridiculous. Are you trolling me or something?" Um, basically, well the. The reasoning behind it was I was playing Greg's Shadow um, just because it was like I like Hollow One a lot. I like those like I don't know I like casting Gurmag Angler. And, well, it's kind of funny. I don't I, well I don't know I I like casting those spells. I don't know. I, well, I really like Mishra's Bobble. I guess that's the truth. I re- when I saw that they were playing four Mishra's Bobble, I'm like okay, I gotta give this a spin again. I love Mishra's Bobble, and so I don't know if it's like the best deck or whatever, but it was just like a deck I was liking to play a lot, and it seemed to do well enough. So I played it in like the Mox Playoff. Um, and I ended up going three three, which might sound bad, but for the mox playoff, it's like it's like very difficult player. So I was actually happy for a three three um, in the events. Um, and so basically, the logic behind Blood Moon it might be bad. I was just trying it, but usually you play like a couple. Well, I basically took Sam Bardi's exact list, and in his sideboard he has two collective brutalities and a disdainful stroke. Well, I didn't expect a lot of burn at the mox playoff. Um, actually, I put, in January I played burn, and so did. Javier and Elf Kid, um, and so back then I was like in love with Burn. Went right before the KCI ban. I was like, man, I'm gonna play Burn forever in Modern. It's like my, I actually like playing that deck a lot. And like I don't have to think about Modern. I can just play Burn. Then the KCI ban happened, and and a lot changed to Modern. Like I guess, but um, anyway, so basically I, I cut the two brutalities not because they're bad, but just I didn't expect a lot of Burn at like a super high level event. Not too, but like. At the mocks, where like for a Grand Prix, you, you want cards to bring in against Burn because a lot of people are going to be playing it there. Um, so I was like, okay, I want three cards for big mana. And I was looking, first I was playing like two strokes and one Vendillion, but um, I wasn't really sure. It's also control. So I put like Amulet on blue white control. You could count Esper maybe, sort of. Um, I don't know if people are still playing that, but definitely blue white's a deck people play. And I would say, okay, well, I kind of want a card for the for those matchups. And I was looking through the options. I was thinking, well, Alpine Moon's really good against Tron. And when you say one Moon, I'm like, well, Blood Moon's like that, but it's also good against Amulet, and it's can be okay. Like if somebody shows up with Esper, maybe I can like somehow Mize win, or you know, against Blue White, it's not terrible. Though Teferi did make Moon a lot worse. I used to play a lot of Blue White in Modern, and um, the fact that Teferi's just one Blue, one White means you just wait one one Plains, one Island, and you can just play Teferi, and you're good. But before Teferi Moon was a lot more stressful and moon is still good because you do care about colonnades and it just you know can help you help get free wins in a matchup that some i personally think it's hard i know some people might disagree but my brain's not big enough to consider blue white a buy for grixis shadow i guess 
<laughs> like I know some people might uh, think it's a bit better um, in the matchup. I was just trying to think exactly. So, so I was just trying Blue Moon because of that. And it's like, it's obviously you don't, it was actually the most, my, I, was, I sent it to a friend of mine and, I, and he's like, wow, Blood Moon in um, Death Shadow, that's cosmic. And I'm like, no, what's more cosmic is I side out Basic Islands when I side Because <laughs> against Tron, especially under the new Mulligan rule, like it's really bad to have the basics and they're more like a utility for like um, when you actually want to fetch them, but when your life total matters. But against a deck like Tron, for example, it's they're so powerful you really just need to get something on the board i don't know if it was correct but like all my other cards were good and um i basically was the london mulligan rule you can more easily sculpt hands that you had lands plus um like the sand party list you don't even have serum visions you have very few blue cards and i did not like disdain what yeah in that list i think i maybe had like two moons one disdainful stroke just because uh i didn't want to have like awkward boards where i drew two moons and that oblivion stone i do have a lot of removal but you know so that was kind of cool and modern but um I try a bit of amulet sometimes, but um, I actually used to play it like in two, 2015 when like Summer Bloom was legal. But I just get, um, I don't know, I like playing Mistress Bobbles too much. I, I, play, I also play Blue White, but, and Blue White and Black Green. I can talk a little bit about those two decks. My problem is Black Green, and I actually played it, I think, the 5K November. Um, and it's actually kind of funny. I got, I got wrecked by Hollow One. I had like, I started 4 0 or something, but then I lost three rounds to, um, to actually to um to, but the first one was the hollow one so maybe th sometimes the way i pick decks is i'm like what do i always lose to no matter what i play i'm like whatever i play i always get wrecked by hollow one so that kind of got me uh, started there that's um but anyway so one my my main problem is black green i is that it doesn't really have a way to deal with its own mana in a way so to elaborate on that a lot of decks that have ancient stirrings or looting or like Bit Mishra's Bobble or like operate on low lands, they have all these ways of having mana sinks and like not stumbling on lands. Like, is it Phoenix with the Serum? They just don't lose a lot of games where they stumble on lands. Where when I was playing Black Green, I'm like, a lot of the games I just stumble on lands. I draw too few or too many. I don't have any way to auto correct. I'm basically playing a standard deck, but I'm playing against modern decks. Like, it's like a fine deck, but you just lose so many games from that. I And that actually happened, I think, in the finals versus Phoenix at the one of the Star City Opens, I was watching it because I'm like, sweet Golgari, let's take, watch it take down some Phoenix. And then I tune in and it's so sad to see. He was just stuck on lands, but you know, like a field of ruin and an overgrown tomb and the Phoenix deck just beats him. But that's just like the consistency of those tier one decks. And that's what I would talk about the blue-white quickly. Like the thing in modern right now is like the tier one decks are just so consistently not drawing you that I, I think like the way that people would try and beat decks like Phoenix and is to outpower them but the problem when you outpower them is you lose consistency and then even though you're outpowering them some amount of the games a lot of the games just aren't consistent enough though so i was like well it's actually funny i was like okay so phoenix is the best deck then i try and play phoenix and i realize well when people are trying to outpower you and you're playing 15 rounds you're going to get outpowered even though you're more consistent than them so i mean i think phoenix is a good deck but um that that was just the, the phoenix deck is actually just too difficult for me which is why i didn't play it um, I think the deck's like extremely hard to play um, because you have the way you manage what you're doing in that deck is very hard. So that was one of the reasons I like Shadow is more straightforward what I was doing. Um, but yeah, that's why I like Shadow. Like it's it kind of has like a clear plan, like a clear nut draw in a way, like in the way that like Tron and the Word deck does, and they're very consistent. So I do like Blue White a lot. I was playing it with like three or four relics, and I had a lot of ideas I liked in the deck. Um, it's kind of what sounds silly, but I was like, oh yeah, I'll play Gideon of the Trials. It's well positioned right now. Like that, that's the kind of 
I was like, what? A, and then I'm like, I look back, I'm like, what am I talking? Gideon of the trials is well positioned. Like, what? And searched for knowledge in Relics Main. But um, one of the problems with blue white, but I know some blue white players might disagree, is it's just like, so all these tier one decks they have these consistent net draws, and it's like at no cost. Like, um, they should, they, like they're fine if they don't have them either. It, well, in a way, because maybe your opponent that draws you and you lose. And the blue-white deck, like, I'm like, I'm playing the gate, like, I'm trying to, you're sort of playing this, like, prison role in a sense where you're trying to lock out everything relevant your opponent's doing, but, like, playing cards like negate, so, like, high variance, like, they can just do nothing or be absurd. And there's, so, it, it definitely feels awkward to play with a card like that. There's all the, also, the fact that it's open deckless helps a lot, but the fact that, like, the London Mulligan lets you sculpt a hand, well, it's pretty awkward when you're trying to sculpt a hand and your cards are negate and supreme verdict, which one do I want? So definitely the Mystic Championship, I think like Fatal Push removal spell decks are a lot better because you actually know if you want them or not. But it's super awkward to to try and like the fact that you're sculpting a hand and then you don't even know a spell is good in the dark. Obviously, that the open deck list, I think, will mean that these fair decks are way more viable than normal. Like, And um, so basically, it's just like really hard. Like the blue-white deck, while I'm looking, it's like, what? It does, it doesn't like fold in the same way that green black does because you have like cantrips to sort of set up your land drops but you're like i was talking to my friend i'm like what's a net drop blue white and it was like casting one spell a turn and it was like it's it's too hard for me to envision that game plan sort of like but it's certainly a powerful deck like i seem to do okay with it and uh, nasif seems to uh, like it a lot though he he likes surgical over over relic which which uh i don't know i like drawing cards maybe even more than him no i'm just kidding <laughs> But yeah, that, that's kind of my my thoughts on modern. Um, I'll definitely be interesting. Like I, I even you know, talking about Cheerio. Actually, I mentioned Elfrid earlier. Uh, it was kind of funny. Um, he was he played Cheerios against me in the mock, and in game two, he went like play five of my eggs out, and I'm like sure. He was like retract my eggs. I didn't have a counter spell. I'm like sure. He goes play five of them again. Grape shot you, and I'm like wow. I just lost to Cheerios with Grixis Shadow. I won game three though, but I was like that. I really had to work for that. You know, I was really nervous. I'm like, if my life goes too low, he can just, like, if he draws a grape shot and a retract, I don't have a counter spell. And he has stuff like silence, you know, to tax me and all that stuff. So I know people are, like, really excited about Cheerios. There's a lot of decks people are, you know, excited about under the London Mulligan rule. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, the Pro Tour goes on. There's actually a mock preliminary a month, I think, like a couple of weeks ago, or, or a week, I think it was maybe it was this Friday. Yeah, it was actually this Friday. And Halloween did really well. And I was actually kind of joking around. I said, Look, with the new mulligan rule with Hollow One, what happens is you get to sculpt your hand and then use Burning and Corey and it disrupts their hand. Now, I don't know how much that will actually translate to how you win games, but it's just funny to say. And it's a, it's a cool deck. Um, actually, the only reason we stopped playing Hollow One is me and Bob. We were kind of like unsure about the Is It Phoenix matchup. And then when I played against Bob, and I think I like, for like two hours, I like almost never lost to Hollow One. And we we're just like, okay, we, if we can't beat Hollow One consistently, and we like tried a lot of stuff, like, um, Maybe it was a fine matchup, but I don't know. It was just like we found like we were jumping through too many hoops to to beat it with the Hollow One deck. But I don't know. Well, right. but it obviously it still does well. Like other people were doing well. He won the Open with it. Um, and, uh, a Spanish grinder, I forget his name exactly. Arca Crema, I think he like top eight at a PTQ. He almost won. I think he like top four at it maybe. Uh, or maybe even made it to the finals. I can't remember. So it still seemed, and it did really well in the Mox Prelim. But so it'll be interesting. Actually, one funny thing, apparently a friend of mine, well, I don't know if, if I can say it publicly, but it's about Slippery Boggles. He said he likes Slippery Boggles a lot. I hope I don't uh, betray his trust, but he just couldn't beat Tron with it. 
he said he was like destroyed. And I'm like, was a new mulligan rule actually kind of makes sense? But I don't know if I should if I should have said that. But I think he said he gave up on it because he couldn't beat Tron. And he, so yeah. No, that that makes sense, man. I'm excited to see how you do that in in uh, Barcelona. It's like now, like not only do I think you have like a great mind for legacy, you've got you've got seems like you've got a lot of thoughts on modern as well. So really yeah. to keep uh, following you and how well you do. Like, but you said, so it's actually, mo- I didn't actually see the Barcelona format. I thought it was like standard and like, it's actually modern for the, for the main event. So that'll mm-hmm. be interesting, I guess. Uh, yeah, definitely more of a standard player. Modern's a bit of a, it's a, it's, it's a lot um, more difficult. Like the, the, the way between losing and winning is a lot wider. Like you can like lose very hard in modern, whereas in standard, you at least, I don't know, I feel like you lose slightly less hard, you know, if, if you p- pick a bad deck. So. <laughs> uh, Daniel, th- thanks for coming on. Is there anyone you want to shout out quickly before uh, we let you go? Um, not, not really. I did uh, the, the, the two people who, like Omar was like the, really the main guy who um, got me onto playing Blade. And then there would just be like a lot. And Anurag Das obviously we're doing the live coverage, which is really nice. And then uh, Thomas Metchen is just a French guy who also helped me tune. Well, before basically Omar wasn't playing like Chase the Mind Sculpture at first, and Metchen's a guy I know, and he was like playing three Jace, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll play three Jace. And then uh, Jace was is very good. So <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you so much for coming on, yeah. and and we'll be sure to check out your article. Thanks again, and thank I hope you. we get you back on when you crush Barcelona yeah. or something. <laughs> I'll, see. I'll just try and uh, hopefully it'll be a good learning experience so yeah right cheers Bye. that was Magic Fest champion Niagara Falls champion Daniel Gutchel did I get it Gutchel yeah and uh, man lots of thoughts John this guy that's why you, you were hyped about him I mean I need to re-listen to all that stuff once I, I have to prep for an event because he's got he had a variety of thoughts on um, I don't know if you got a chance to hear them while you were off um, on the different archetypes and the problems he saw with uh, different versions of them. But uh, let's let's go to uh, Elliot quickly about his weekend as he uh, called his shot multiple times and once again came up empty. So uh, what what happened, Elliot? Uh, I don't know if I came up empty on my called shot. I did declare I was going to X3 and that I was not sure if that would be a day one or day two finish. Uh, unfortunately, it was a day one finish for me. I played depths in the main event, uh, like black green slow depths, um, which I think is like a it's a very good deck. A few people had some really good results with it in the tournament, um, but it does have some some holes in the format in terms of good matchups. It does want to play against some sort of specific things, um, which is not combo decks and death and taxes. And uh, combo decks and death and taxes is what I played against, which is the way things go sometimes in, in modern and legacy. Uh, a lot of times your matchups really define how well your tournament goes. Uh, you know, I was, I've been bragging to friends about how there was a game I lost where I went turn one duress plus surgical extraction, turn two him to Turok against my opponent's combo deck and, and still died on turn three. So, I mean, it's, it's the way it goes sometimes. I had some bad matchups, and I, to be honest, didn't play that great on day one. So a well-deserved X3 finish 
playing less than nine rounds, let's put it that way. Um, but for the next day, I, I wanted to play the PTQ, which was Legacy as well, and I wasn't excited about playing Depths, so I challenged someone who I, who I drove there with to a best of nine for the rights to his Force of Wills and Underground Seas. And I, I won that best of nine, so I got to play Death Shadow in the MCQ. And uh, I had you know no experience playing Legacy Death Shadow, but I had I had played quite a bit with modern Death Shadow decks over the days, over the, over the years even. And with having some having played you know something like fifteen matches or so with with Shadow between the MCQ and and playing testing in the night before and such, what was really interesting to me is that when you play Death Shadow in modern it feels like it's a legacy deck because you have a ton of one mana interaction, cheap interaction, and you know your opponents are trying to cast sometimes two, like three to four mana spells and the average mana cost of your deck's like 1.2 or something like that. Um, but then playing the Death Shadow deck in Legacy, it feels like a modern deck because the play patterns are so much similar to the modern Death Shadow deck. And you know, yeah, you have a lot of similar cards to uh the other legacy decks you know you have the same you know eight cantrips four forces four days as the delver decks have but um you know having you're sort of attacking the format from a different angle in terms of you know a delver deck well you are a delver deck but you know other decks try to put like a true name nemesis into play or have like a a stoneforge mystic and that's how they're attacking people you're just trying to play one large creature and protect it with a bunch of uh, protection as well. So I thought it was really interesting. In the in the PTQ, I ended up going uh, 4-0, then losing my win into the top eight against humans. Um, the big weakness of the of the Death Shadow deck is I was playing zero basic lands, and my opponent was playing four wastelands. So I got I got wastelanded twice a game, and I spent I think more turns in the match with zero lands in play than I did with one land in play one or more lands in play. And still both games were kind of close. So I think that Death Shadow is a really strong deck is what I'm getting at. And uh, I wish I could have gotten that one more win. See what happened in the top eight. But it, that, this weekend was not for me. Had a lot of fun. Uh, hung out with a lot of friends. And that's what Magic's all about. I love Magic for the Gathering. <laughs> okay, we'll do a, we'll do a quick um, talk on, on John's article today. He's predicting, I think it's a bold statement in the article, he's predicting, I think, an Amulet Titan win. I don't have it right in front of me. But, Elio, what do you think about that? What do you think about his, his thoughts on, on Amulet Titan taking, taking the prize? I think it's a, a pretty similar thing to when we were talking about the Mythic Invitational, where, you know, the odds that uh, Amulet Titan wins the, the PT is, what, 2%, 2.5%? Maybe a little higher, uh, but if, but that might just be the highest of any of the modern decks. There's just so much variety, so much, so many viable decks that you know you'd have to be listing decks for days, and so many things would have 0.01 percent even, and that's sort of noteworthy when you when you have a big tournament like this. So, uh, Amulet Titan definitely one of the better decks, definitely a top contender. I I don't know if I would goes so far as to say it's a favor to win the tournament just because I think it's going to be relatively underrepresented compared to some of the other decks. Uh, looking at things like, is it Phoenix, Black, Green, and Tron, which I think are going to be make up, you know, 
maybe a total of 25 to 30 percent of the meta between those three decks so i think it's much more likely that tron wins than amulet in my opinion or at least maybe if you run the tournament like a hundred times tron will win more often um but i mean amulet powerful edgar's gonna be there and he can win anything apparently so but john um I hope you didn't freeze again. Any, any, <laughs> okay. Any thoughts on what Elliot just said as I invite our last guest here? No, um, Elliot's certainly right here. Um, I was just, uh, it's, le- it's less of a bold, <laughs> it's less of a uh, bold, like a bold prediction more, uh, more than, you know, I just wanted to emphasize and like just bring to attention how good Amulet Titan is going to be uh, positioned at the Pro Tour here. Certainly there's going to be, you know, as Elliot said, pro- like, Tron is a Phoenix Dredge and humans and Golgari. That probably makes like 30%, 40%. But uh, relative to the, uh, the metagame percentage, for example, I think, uh, I think, as I said in the article here, I think Tron will be the most represented. It's, the easier, it's one of the easiest and most powerful thing that uh, the, a pro professional can um, uh, pick up in a, a short time if they don't have modern experience. And... Um, but Amulet, I think it's uh, a ha- is, has a good matchup against Dredge. It's almost a buy. It's got good a matchup against a lot of the top tier decks. And I don't expect Blood Moon to be, uh, or Fast Combo to be um, that present. And, you know, like, the, the people who are very good, um, that are adept in modern, like Canister, for example, those guys will be the ones picking up and iterating on uh, Amulet. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think that Amulet, despite its... Uh, it, despite its uh, end barrier to entry, I think it's going to be a very good deck uh, choice for um, for London, and I think it's got as good of a chance as any other deck. Maybe not numerically, but you know what I'm saying. I think the the closest thing to a bold prediction I'd make about this the the metagame that we're going to see is that a lot of people are going to end up playing uh, just the deck that they're familiar with. I don't think we're going to see too much in the terms of like really deep metagaming. And um, I would, I would bet a lot of money on the fact that there's not going to be anything akin to colorless Eldrazi, and, and maybe even not to that extent. But just in terms of, I don't think there's going to be a new kid on the block that's really shocking. I think that the majority of what we'll see is going to be things that we've seen dominating modern for the past couple months, uh, or really doing well in the modern in the past couple months. A lot of people have been hyping up strategies that quote unquote take advantage of the London Mulligan rule, like and and serum powder decks specifically. Like serum powder went from like a two dollar card to a twelve dollar card and you know, kind of made those numbers up, but it's definitely gone up in price. People have been excited to play serum powder and I think that um they're just gonna fall flat. Like the London you, you if there's people talking about playing like Simeon Spirit Guide, Thalia, Chalice decks and I know, John, you mentioned those in your article as well, um, but I, I just think they're too gimmicky and they're not going to hold up when it gets to, you know, 10 rounds of modern at the highest level. Um, I think we're just, it's going to boil down to you're going to see Tron winning, you're going to see Phoenix winning, you're going to see some sort of Thoughtseize deck winning. Uh, it's just, that's the way modern is. And the London Mulligan rule is not enough of a drastic change to make Grishel Brand playable. As 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 sad as John might be to hear that, Grishel Brand, that's my take. Zero copies of the PT. Breaks my heart. 
<laughs> I do think that, I, I do think one more thing here. I do think that one more thing. I do think that open deck lists will make a difference because like for a deck like Thalia Stompy, for example, some some decks arbiters is killer, like Val against Falcon or Tron. Some against some decks Chalice is great. Against some decks Thalia is great, etc. So the having the complete information before the match does make a difference. But um, you know, Elliot does make a fair point. Um, I, I think otherwise, but uh, this is part of the fun, right? We make these predictions, and uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see uh, what happens this weekend. I definitely do agree. Having open deck lists does help a deck that's playing things like uh, Chalice of the Void and Leon and Arbiter. Um, it's part of the reason that I think that Black Green and Thoughtseize decks are going to be prevalent because you can make the same conclusion from you know I, I know when to mulligan my Chalice hand or when to mulligan my Leon and Arbiter hand. Um, with combinations of discard spells and creatures versus removal spells and creatures, I think that a lot of a lot of games that black green will end up losing involve things like, you know, you keep a fatal push a couple creatures and you end up playing instead nauseum, or you keep a couple discard spells and one creature and you're playing against humans or something like that. You know, just kind of making things up as I go. But um, you know, black green decks will gain a lot, I think, and. Um, other decks will gain more from increasing their own consistency from doing the same thing. And decks like Black Green will improve at increasing the consistency of their cards lining up well. And I just don't think that the Thalia, Chalice, you know, Eldrazi decks uh, gain enough in terms of power level by improving the lineup of their cards, if that makes sense to you. I think that yes turn one chalice will be you know less often played against something like scapeshift where it's a blank but on the other hand you know the rest of your cards kind of suck <laughs> you know turn turn three four thought not seers kind of not not quite modern power level leon and arbiter without ghost quarter being a strip mine is not quite modern power level so uh, I think it's a it's a no for me for those decks. All right, for for the last segment of the show, we got another guest with us, Travis. How's it going, Travis Somerville? Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, it's Somerville. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you're perfect. Great. Thanks for having me on. I gotta get you on to talk about um, MTG X-ray, something you've been working on for for a while, and uh, at some point, I was talking to Travis um privately that may, we may be doing like a, a more hands-on video uh later on uh, this month whatever uh, but i really wanted to get to know uh you the, the man behind the project what your goals are with the project what you where you intend to take the project so let's learn a bit about you like where how did you get into to magic let's start with that yeah i appreciate it so uh you know, unlike a lot of your guests that have, have made very high levels and very good results, I am a very average Magic player. I've been playing uh, since 1994 uh, in the Tempest era. You know, Capsize was a, a cool uh, card back then, you know. Uh, and uh, anyway, and so I, back then, you know, I watched some of the best players play. I was at a tournament with John Finkel. Didn't even know who he, who he was. <laughs> You know, it was just, uh, I was just doing it for fun. Uh, and then later back in Kanza Tarkir, I got back into it. And uh, for a few years now, um, I have a bad brewing habit. I'll show it, at, at, you know, show up at an FNM 
brewed one hour before. And, uh, you know, I've improved a lot since then. You know, I, I put more practice in. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just read the comments. Yeah, capsize can, can dash your hopes. Uh, but anyway, I started putting more more time in it, getting a little, listening to more podcasts like yours. And uh, I've definitely gotten better, but I'm still not, I'm a wannabe, you know, I want to be getting those pro points one day or whatever we're going to call it in the future. Um, but I started working about four years ago on a program that it would simulate the game. Um, I've always been into making computer software, like when I play Dungeons and Dragons, like what happens when 2,000 elves fight 2,000 troglodytes, who wins, you know? Uh, just been doing that since sixth grade. So it was just a natural extension for me one day to say, what if I could reprogram 80% of the game rules in Magic and just see what happens? So that's where it started. Do you have a background in programming, or is this something that you've just completely learned on your own on your, on your extra time? Yeah, um, my first job out of college, I had my sociology degree. I saw some people programming. It was just a big t- startup time in Austin, Texas. And before you know it, if you if you were in Austin, Texas at that time, you just get sucked into the tech world. So I'm just, I went back to college for a couple courses, but I'm basically self-trained, right? You know, on that. I mean, it's impressive. Like, I, I know a bit of programming. I mean, I, I actually graduated in software engineering, but I wouldn't be able to know to get to the point where you actually have a finished product uh, for people to download in the Microsoft store. So um, even that, that alone is impressive to me, Travis. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, it's taken all my spare hours for the last four years. So um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy it's in the Microsoft store too. Um, we may deliver it other ways. We might start up a website and just have a link to it. Um, I was publishing an Android app and, a, and an iPhone app as well. But with the amount of time I have, I've just cut back and just scaling back just to uh, the Windows store for right now. Okay, so has this always been a solo project or have you been working with, with uh, other people? Yeah, it, it started as a solo project, but I definitely have some really good teammates on the team now. Um, uh, unfortunately, my, my coding partner couldn't come here. He, he worked all day. Uh, I call him Blue Mage, and uh, Blue Mage will sit there and make a commander deck and play it against himself on, like, Cockatrice or cards or whatever, write down some stats, and he'll do that for about 40 hours at a time and then go to sleep. And I, and I came over one day, I was like, wouldn't you just rather kind of work on this project with me and kind of <laughs> help, me, help me automate the, some of this? And... uh he said, yeah, this sounds like a good use of time. That's all he said. And then he got to work. And, you know, he's got an MIT degree, and he's got a stack of algorithm books. And he just plucks, you know, an algorithm here and there and has been applying it to the project uh, for a couple of years now. And, and that's how we got to where we are now. It's, it's, got some re- it's got more technology in it than anybody needs. And what we really need to do is thank you for having me on the show. We need to have a few people. Uh, just trying it for practical results and telling me, did it did it tune their mana to a pro level or not? You know, there's some things it can do really well, and there's some things that uh, it cannot do very well right now. So, you know, we can get into you know its strength and weakness anytime. It definitely has a bias, and it definitely doesn't solve all the magic. It's just a tool. So you 
like, like you, you answered one of my questions. You started off thinking, what would, you, what would happen if you could simulate a bunch of games to help you solve certain questions? And, and right now, it, it's the best at, let's say, figuring out maybe like your, your mana distribution and how much mana to, to put in a specific deck. Yeah, it's it's if if you if you have settled on your spells and you're just wondering what mana you should polish this off with, um, the the approach is um, uh, this isn't condoned by Frank Karsten, but it's similar to his methods, right? You know, Frank Karsten will set up an experiment a lot, saying we're going to play this many turns. Here's the parameters. Here's how I'm measuring the optimal deck, and I ran you know a million games and that's enough math to feel very confident within plus or minus that this is the right mana base, right? That would be something Frank Karsten can do. So I wanted to set out and put a tool in everybody's hands that you get control over your deck building decisions. And so we'll describe that, you know, on another time, but you are in complete control of what cards have to be in the deck in which pool of cards might go in your deck. And then there's something called quantitative annealing. It's it's like if you could just play a game and write down how well your deck did and give it a score. Like in this case, we write down how much mana you played out. So if you do a one drop and then a two drop and then your game was over, you would have played three units of mana. Or if, if, if you got to turn, if you made it to play to turn seven and you managed to do 21 units of mana, right? That would be your score. And so if you played say, a million games like that, well, even if you played 5,000 games like that and then you shuffled what was in your deck a little bit and replayed them and measured them against each other, that's, that's what quantitative annealing is. It searches through chaotic space of a lot of dis- deck-building decisions, and the results are pretty surprising when it comes to mana. I would trust, I would trust this with all of my decks I would take to a tournament. And then I would, I would I would test it still, and then if 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 you still felt like you needed to make a change, make a change. But it's a good scientific starting uh, base that goes a little bit beyond hypergeometric calculations for sure. Are, are you saying the general idea is is for it to maximize uh, the mana use over like X amount of turns? Yeah, it's a little bit more complex than that. But like at a high level summary, that's it. But there's a lot of theory. You wouldn't believe how much theory you could apply to goldfishing, how much room there is to solve for the goldfishing space. Like, for instance, um, what if you also factor in curve, like the amount of mana you use per turn? What if that's important to you, too? You could then have a cumulative factorial of, like, how much mana you laid out times the square of, you know, your curve and all that. And, and you can come up with some really interesting... Um, shapes to your deck another another thing that's really important to the tool is if you're going to goldfish how many turns are you going to play out if you tell it to optimize to four turns your mana base is going to look very different than if you tell it on average i think this matchup is going to need to play about eight turns you would be surprised how different uh the mana choices could be hmm so i think i think the challenge uh, to to get people to use it, like like you said, is 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 to make it as easy as possible. And I think, like you've told me that that you've gotten it to be able to import and, and export arena decks. And I think that's going to go a long way as uh, as a feature to get people to use it. 
Yeah, I mean, this is really this is really best as a tool sitting on your desktop, and you're probably going to do constructed with it. Um, you could still learn a lot from seeing what it does on limited decks that you bring back home or something. But um, yeah, you could, you could go find a deck list on your site. There's some fairly standard deck list formats besides Arena that it can import. And so that part's very painless. Um, once you get to know the tool, like, I mean, I know it like the back of my hand, of course, but there's only, <laughs> there's only really four buttons to push. You know, there's, you know, we'll go over that. There's just four buttons. And once you know what those buttons are doing, um, you'll realize why it's saving you time. Okay, sweet. Uh, um, so what, what's up next for you uh, on this project? Uh, I think we, we talked about a website coming up. Um, is there a key feature you're looking forward to hammering down with, with your partner? Yeah, so, I mean, right now, I want everybody to know, I think it's very valuable to go check your mana base. You go take a net deck or some brew idea that's totally yours. I think it's really good just to run the mana function. Uh, but um, we're working on mulligan functions. Of course, we'd like to do a, a London mulligan function um, to help people practice. There is a mulligan function in the, in the app right now. Um, it's, the UI is a little kooky, but it's, it's quite interesting and usable. There's a little mulligan game you can play. One of the big features we want to release next is like a budget brew. So if you can imagine, we're optimizing a deck for mana uh, and curve. And then also which, which set of cards you're thinking about putting in. But in addition to that, if you wanted to manage another dimension like Let's keep it to a certain budget. That gets a little bit difficult for humans to do when you add that many dimensions in. So, like for your show, if you wanted to come up with some budget decks and constrain like a hundred dollar modern deck and just see what it comes. Well, it doesn't do modern yet, right? So that that's the other problem. We're we're stuck in standard land, but we're thinking about like maybe you could put how many arena tickets mm. you want to spend and 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 what your deck's looking like to try to figure out maybe what's the next two cards you should spend your, your rares on uh, as, as a budget function as well. Whoa. Uh, yeah, I haven't even thought about this potential idea. Well, that's interesting. But I'm, I'm also interested to hear you say that, Travis, because when I chatted with you, I felt like the tool would be at its best, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like at its best in limited, but you said at the inverse, because in limited, I care... Um, I feel like the cards will tend to line up more with the mana that um, they cost, whereas in in constructed, it's a very it's more situational based on when how like how much mana is is a card worth. And I feel like and curving out, I really want to do that in limited way more. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, it definitely could help you solve limited, hands down. There's no doubt about it. There are some features. Um, that we want to get to to help it be more realistic for constructed. I think those there are some features in there right now. Like for instance, um, if a card is very important to you to cast uh, in a constructed deck or a limited deck, there's a star rating system, zero to ten. And if you were to uh, pump negate up really high, because you know you need to have holding negate up on turn two, that that is possible to tweak that in. in in the in the build right now you you could use the interface for that what i'd like to get is to get to a place where it competes against other decks 
and understands the interactions a little bit more. Like if you're holding a gate and there's no target for negate, then it's then it you know if you took your control deck and played it against an aggro deck and you put a bunch of negates in that build and there wasn't much to negate, it would be able to understand that there wasn't much value uh, in negate in that build and it could start to bend it a little bit and say maybe a few less of those is is better. So I, I want I want to get to the level where we have interactions between two decks probably before your audience at their level is going to really think this is great for brewing. But I sure would like them to try and just kind of check the mana base a little bit. Um, there's a lot of dials, you knobs and dials you can tweak and to get some pretty realistic results, even though it's not perfect. Yeah, man, if you ever take it to that level, what if they interact? I think that's going to be bonkers. That's going to be a game changer, in, in my opinion. I don't think anyone's... Uh, I mean... Like once once we get to the point where we can get like an AI playing against itself at any re- even a reasonable level, it's going to be a huge game changer. Yeah, that may be a little ways off, but uh, <laughs> but, 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 but my my coding partner and I do do like to sit around and watch AlphaGo YouTube <laughs> channels and and try to figure out what we can get from that. But 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 I want to I want to emphasize this is this is a a tool where you always be in control and the goal of the tool is to give you ideas and to help you learn. It's not necessarily to give you the final answer. It's just a tool that's going to probably float some pretty good ideas by you that you'll see over time, I believe. So when you're talking about negate, am I right to assume like your system will, will uh, look at like whether a land comes into play untapped or not and, and it values like, making sure it has two lands in tap for negate is that is that how it works yeah so this is kind of interesting um the the game okay so in general we have the game rules and i read in a list of cards and it it can read pretty accurately you know that a land war elf taps for one green mana it understands that land war elf has summoning sickness in general um it can read most of the lands but what we do is we go in and hand program each piece of mana. So the pain lands, the shock, the, the, the fetch lands, all that stuff, evolving wilds. We actually write the functions out very carefully and test those. I mean, I'm sure you'll find a bug in my code. You, you, you can watch it play games. There's a section in the app where you can watch it. I'm sure you'll catch something, but uh, we're, we're really careful with the pieces of mana. Uh, so all your lands in standard, all your lockets, all that stuff works. And um for 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 those lands where you pay two life we kind of have to put in an algorithm of depending on what your estimated life total is at that point in the game would you likely to do that or not so it's not perfect because it's not playing against an opponent but you know it's 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 a rough approximation yeah you, i think you can make reasonable assumptions uh, i think that's fair to say yeah and, and we do we do kill off creatures in the game at a certain rate just an arbitrary rate. Um, so mana dorks still die and your creatures still die. But if we ever get to the level of just interacting against another deck, what we'll do is we'll take the actual probability that your creature could have been bolted and each turn it might get bolted just from a probability of being bolted. You know, So just to add a little realism, um, for instance, we get interested in cards. So like, what would be interesting is if 
if maybe I come on your Discord community and listen to some cards people want programmed or a deck idea, I mean, just floating this by you, like, we could go program that set of cards. Like, we did that for Approach of the Second Sun when that was a popular deck. And we came up with a very tuned Approach of the Second Sun deck. I thought it was quite remarkable. So we could do that for a deck if, if we applied ourselves for like a week. So just putting that out there. If couldn't do that for everybody, but if you tell me who to do that for, I, I'll, I'll, I'll apply my, <laughs> my time for. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. So, so I, can't, I'll do, I can't wait to do the hands-on with you, Trav. So, so where's the website going to be at? It's going to be mtgxray.com. Um, I mean, if you go there right now, you'll see a bunch of uh, fake articles that, that aren't up there. We're, we're pretty close. Um, we're trying an experiment where you don't have to download the app. And if you have like a, a Chrome browser with a lot of memory, you can maybe run the app right there in your, in your browser. That's kind of experimental. But, but really the easiest way to get a hold of this app is just go, go to the, the Microsoft store. And the reason why I don't just give people zip copies, I'll send you a zip copy of the executable. But, but people get real leery about that. They're like, how do I know there's not a virus? So if you go to the store, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's a known entity and like, you know, it's, it's a clean copy that you can trust. All right. Perfect. John, John, as someone that's like really math, a math lover, <laughs> does this pique your interest? I think I'm I'm definitely short on the fundamentals in terms of you know color, uh, color requirements, timely the time uh, casting spells in a timely manner, ratios, et cetera, et cetera. So perhaps like I I'd have to see like the actual product and how it works there, but um, yeah, man, man, perhaps it's uh, going to be a, a useful thing here. I the concept is definitely something that I take my interest. I talked to LSV about it one time. He said he won't only be interested if I programmed every card in standard. So I'm going <laughs> to make it our goal to program every card in standard and have that updated. What, were you tweeting at him or uh, how'd you get in touch with him? Uh, I was in GP Houston and okay. uh, I had to wait several hours to talk to him and, and Marshall Sutcliffe. And uh, they, they liked the idea too. But, but what I want to, really put in people's hands you know what I, I i right if we get off this podcast i'll do a couple fresh uh updated youtube videos i really need to refresh my video uh to show you some of the features so just search youtube uh for mtg x-ray i'll i'll do that tonight um i'd like to show off some of the um there is a score button when you score your deck then you can click on any card and what will you what you will see is very detailed statistics on um how often that card is in your opening hand and if it wasn't in your opening hand what turn would you play it on and uh if it wasn't in your opening hand when would you naturally draw it in your first copy in the game and what turn would you likely play it on and i've come up with a concept called the color tax and so i'm going to try to make that more prominent in the app but if you imagine if you had a perfect mana base and you weren't getting color screwed your card might naturally come down on 4.3, you know, on average after a thousand games, right? Just, just from the other cards you're playing and just from when you actually get enough lands to play it, right? It might be somewhere between turn four and five. But when you take the realities of trying to do the color cost, if you see that shift like 0.7 or something, you know you're almost losing a whole turn due to color screw 
and that you're getting a little too greedy, right? So I'm going to try to come up with some statistics so that you build your own deck, you score it, but you can get some very detailed stuff that would be hard to know otherwise. Because we all use hypergeometric math to say what's the probability of this card or that, but it's really hard to take into account somebody like Captain Lannery Storm. It's a 2-2, comes down. If the probability that you get to attack with it, you get a treasure token. How do you put that in a hypergeometric calculator? It's really hard. So simulating, I think, is really the best way to get that last layer of realism. Uh, even though it's not perfect. I mean, it's not playing the cards out like you would. If you saw how it played the cards out, that's why most people that are pro level are going to reject this and go, I don't believe in it. But I still think you should look at the results, even though they're come about in a different way. Um, and that's why I want feedback. I want people to look at it and say, no, you know, it's, it just doesn't seem right, you know, and, and we can tweak it. But how does it have, how can it give it a score? Like, do you, the part I'm confused about, Travis, is like, does it have all the standard stuff now? Or like, does it score based on, on what? We, okay, so it, under, it understands the casting costs of all the standard cards right now. And it okay. understands what they are, like a land or a creature. I don't have to program any of that. I've got a generalized way of understanding that. Okay, okay. But, but, L- but, it, but yeah. LSB yeah. wanted it to be like like everything to be simulated. I just wanted to understand the distinction of what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. so so like take take a card like Divin uh um oh, what is what is Divin what is the card? Two two and a blue draw draw two cards. Divination, divination. Yeah, divination, thanks. So like divination needs to be programmed, right? You play divination, it's a do-nothing card for the board state. So in our scoring, we give that a zero. And we actually program divination to actually draw you two cards. So if that actually helps you in the game because you got more cards in your hand or you needed that land or whatever, great. Um, so we have to program. We tend to program all the blue cards, and and we don't have it 100 percent covered. Like so, if we just get a little feedback and little people using it, I think we could hunker down and get all those cards programmed in standard, uh, which you have to do. Um, you know, all and right. we have. We have opt programmed and, you know, our scry is not going to be as good as your intelligent scrying, but we do the basics of like, we have analysis of whether you feel like you're uh, shy on land or need spells. And it at least just does that. And um, it's pretty intelligent about the order of playing lands. <laughs> so. All righty. Um, well, we're, we're, we're going to wind this down. Trav, thanks for coming on, and I hope to do something else with you later on. Um, and uh, for everyone who supports the show, check out patreon.com slash first strike. Check out our episode next week where hopefully we get Derek back on to talk about his London experience. And uh, I think that will do it for our show. Uh, again, Trav, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank right. you. That was Travis Somerville. And, uh, for Elliot, John, and I, that was a long, long-winded episode of, of all different kinds of content. And we will see you next week. Ciao, everyone. Ooh.